On June 24, 1992, Shaquille O'Neal was selected number one overall in the NBA draft by the Orlando Magic. This was a no-brainer draft pick for the Magic, but we all know there is still a whole lot that goes into drafting players in any sport. Curiously enough, this week's guest has an incredible amount of experience drafting in and scouting in the NFL. It all started when he was first hired by legendary Bill Belichick with the Cleveland Browns. And you guessed it, in 1992. But to link it all together, Chris Landry in 1992 also left LSU. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the year is 1992, and we're on LSU's campus to witness two legends of the school depart for their professional careers. In one corner, we have Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, Shaq Diesel. Shaq Daddy. Or just plain Shaq. In the other corner, we have a lesser-known underdog, but don't sleep on him because he's a dominant force in his own right. His name is Chris Landry, and today he's riding shotgun with us to share knowledge nuggets from the world of scouting. Now, Shaq was drafted number one overall by the Orlando Magic, and Chris Landry was hired by legendary Bill Belichick in the scouting department for the Cleveland Browns in 1992. So let's just say, history is being made, folks. But enough with the joking. Let's put it aside because this is football. This is not basketball. And this happens to be a three-part interview with Chris Landry. Now, you're going to realize that we're talking to the shack of the scouting world. He has spent a lifetime in football, serving as a coach, scout, and administrator at both the college and NFL levels. He was selected as a coordinator of the NFL Scouting Combine in 1993, and then when he had to leave the game, unfortunately, due to some sick family members at home, NFL teams, they still contacted him because they wanted him to help them out. Now he runs his own company called Landry Operations and also LandryFootball.com. And I'll go ahead and leave links to both sites in his podcast also on the dedicated page for Chris on the website, which you can get to by heading to TheFootballHistoryDude.com slash Chris Landry. Again, that's TheFootballHistoryDude.com slash Chris Landry. And while you're at it, I ask that you please subscribe free to the show by mashing that little subscribe button in your podcast player choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes we'll each and every week. And again, this is a three-part interview. So there's going to be the next three episodes covering the Chris Landry experience. And you're going to go ahead and figure out why I brought this guy in the show because he has uh, overflowing wealth of knowledge on the scouting world. And he gets into many other things too, as far as team philosophies and such, which we will dive into as the show goes on. So of course, definitely make sure you subscribe because then you're going to get the next episode as soon as it releases. But for now, let's get right into the interview with Mr. Chris Landry. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Football History Do Podcast. Hey, good to be with you. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, sure, of course. And we thought no better way 
to follow up the brief history of the scouting combine than to talk to one of the legends himself, Chris Landry. Well, I don't know about legends, but that's, but uh, I did run the combine for, for some time and was there when we started it at the beginning. And it's amazing. Been to every one of them. So um, it's interesting to see how it's evolved over the years. And uh, certainly uh, the genesis, uh, it'd be interesting to get into why we started it and the purpose of it and how it's grown. Yeah, sure. And let's go back a little bit further. Let's start this off with your origin story because you live and breathe and everything else in between football. But when did you realize that you wanted to do football for a living? Well, um, you know, pretty young. I was, you know, I played sports and was really into it. I um, had an uncle that was a high school coach. And back in the day where it was 16 millimeter tape, um, I would spend uh, Saturday mornings with them, breaking down the, the Friday night's game with them. And really I was just helping him doing, I mean, I was probably six, seven years old, just doing stuff. And then, you know, being around it, beginning to begin to enjoy it, um, and learn the game kind of in a different level. And then obviously when I went to, when I played high school, um, it was a small Catholic high school in South Louisiana. We actually played all of our games on Thursdays because the little city I grew up in, the public school had the stadium. We played at their stadium and they played on Friday nights. So we had to play on Thursday. So that meant that on Friday nights, um, I, I went, um, help with the, we, uh, to scout our upcoming opponent. And so that became kind of a way that, uh, I begotten, got involved in it, got interested in it. So as I was playing, I became kind of a, a guy that was really into studying the game, studying the minutia of the X's and O's and the personnel. And then that's probably when I got the bug. And then i I was always someone that was around the game and, and studied it. And, you know, back in the days where you didn't have computers and everything, but I'd look at 16 millimeter film, I'd watch games on TV, I'd chart games and I, I gathered information on players as best I could. And, um, just kind of evolved from there, went to college, um, as a walk on at LSU. And then, um, basically was asked to be a student assistant coach. That was, I guess, a way of them telling me that I had limited ability, but maybe that I could be a help as a coach. And so I did that <laughs> and uh, spent my time as a student assistant at the time being a walk-on. And then you go to being a student assistant where your education, your room, board, tuitions all paid for. Student assistant coach, learning the game, breaking down film, and then I became a GA. And well, I became heavily involved in recruiting at LSU, and um, right now they've got all the different analysts and stuff. Well, back in the day, it was just me and one other guy and um, a full-time coach that handled recruiting, and that included sending out tapes. We gravitated towards the VHS and beta tapes where we'd get games and we'd copy them and study prospects on tape and, and got involved there. One of my duties when I was um, 
at LSU as a student assistant was when the NFL scouts came in. I was the guy that set them up with tape and talked to them about the players and you know, it's idea, you know, uh, you really want to watch Arnie in this game because this is what he did, so on and so forth. So got involved in it. I actually did some part-time work for the late Jack Butler, who ran the Blesto Scouting Combine for years, and that stood for Bears, Lions, Eagles, Steelers, Talent Organization, and then it grew the Vikings, John, and um, some others. And so I did part-time work while as a – uh, undergraduate and a graduate assistant. So that was my first intro into, into scouting. And then, um, then when I graduated, uh, I just continued to do more Then became a full-time assistant at LSU. Then, uh, went to, in the NFL, uh, was hired by Bill Belichick with the Browns. And we had a lot of interesting people on that staff and, you know, including Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, probably the best NFL and college football coach of all time on that staff. And, you know, uh, that's really how from there I went on to run the scouting combine. And then I went to Houston to coordinate and run the Oilers scouting department, then moved to Nashville when the Oilers moved to Tennessee. And then um, actually left the Titans when my parents got ill and moved back home to Louisiana and looked after them and did consulting work for a number of teams um, uh, in, in, in the NFL, as well as doing some work for college programs. And it just kind of developed it with modern technology as a consulting business where I do obviously scouting of uh, personnel uh, College scouts working on the draft, free agency, uh, helping college programs and the recruiting element and how to set up staff. I actually recommended uh, Saban to LSU uh, back in the day. And actually, when he left to go to Michigan State, helped him kind of set up the the basically the recruiting department there, Michigan State and then at LSU and then at the Dolphins and then Alabama basically kind of modeling it after our program in, uh, in Cleveland with the Browns that Belichick put together. So um, that's a long-winded answer to kind of how I got into it and how it's evolved. And now as I've been doing it for well over 30 years, um, really kind of enjoyed is, is there are different types of people in the game now, but still enjoy helping we, be it athletic directors or owners or general manager type people, um, help them with coaching searches, help them with evaluating players, helping with giving seminars to scouts or, you know, any different number of things. And I've enjoyed kind of having my hands in all of it. And then we started a website, LandryFootball.com a few years ago, where we can provide some of that information to the fan to where we take them inside the film room. We explain how draft boards look and why they look that way. And it's not, a top list. It's not about mock drafts. I think fantasy football has been great to get folks interested in the game, but they tend to see the game through the prism of kind of a fantasy football person. And what we try to do is 
I think provide some information that could help the fantasy football folks, but we really try to focus on what I call reality football and how do you really set up a free agent board, an NFL draft board? How do you evaluate players? What are critical factors and how do you grade in terms of numbers and verbiage? So we get into all that as well as the minutia of what's going around the what's going on around the college and pro game, uh, from recruiting to the draft. Uh, evaluating teams and players during the season, breaking down games to right now, uh, you know, grading the, the top free agents available, the setting up draft boards, all those things, who are the best players in the draft, all those sorts of things are what we try to uncover on the website. Yeah, it sounds like you've been in the game at many different levels from different angles in it. Yeah, you know, coaching, playing, coaching, scouting, administration, every, you know, doing contracts, uh, all those things, um, you know, I always say it, uh, it's the life experiences. You can't go to school for it. I mean, I think there are things you can do now to learn from people who have done it, but it's like anything else. There's only so much schooling. Um, and certainly in our business, it's really more hands on. And the more experience you have grading players, the more recall of players and how to do it, it's uh, it's in what to look for. That's that's really the key. And you know, it's uh, you know sometimes I think uh, a misunderstanding of really what scouting is, and it is human beings evaluating other human beings. Uh, but it's about understanding what are the important qualities to look for at each position, and understanding that. It is important to have a philosophy as an organization and as a team to understand what it is you're looking for that fits what you want. It's like going to um, a car dealership. You know, if you've got somebody coming in and it's a soccer mom that wants a minivan or a big SUV, they're not interested in a pickup or a sports car. That may be great, you know, and may be the best deal you got in a lot, but it may not fit what that person wants. And so understanding that there's no such thing as this is the best linebacker or this, uh, the, the best linebacker in the eyes of Bill Belichick is going to be quite different than in the eyes of Pete Carroll because of different systems and what you're looking for, not in terms of just need, but in terms of what are the skill sets you're looking for at each position will differ. And I think uh, that's where people kind of get uh, messed up with trying to understand that uh, scouting is more about understanding what's a fit for what it is you're looking for organizationally. When do you think that clicked for you? I mean, you said it takes time and it takes experience. How did that transition go from not understanding that concept for you to, okay, I think I understand now. Well, it's evolving. Um, I believe uh, it takes a good six years scouting in the NFL working in the league, not just looking at it and talking about it, but working in the league, it takes uh, at least six years. And the reason is, you know, so much of what's happening today, it's what I call information gathering. It's hearing what this guy says and that guy says, and well, that's not scouting. That's We call that telephone scouting. That's just gathering information. Well, this group, this, this, uh, this scout likes this guy, this scout likes that guy evaluating players over the years uh, in about six years, you get a pretty good sample size of players that you evaluate. And then you can go back and scout yourself. You can see 
uh, where you made mistakes, where you were right, where you were wrong, and why. And you start to get a feel after about six years um, what it's going to take to play in the league and where your players are going to fall short. And you can start to come up with different uh, feelings about um, how to put a grade on a player properly. And then after that, it's just about continuing to evolve and understanding that the game changes. And as the game changes, it becomes different in how you evaluate guys. For example, we're in a spread game. We're in one back sets. Most everybody lines up in three wides. So, you know, everyone makes the quote simple, just a simple little thing, wide receivers. Well, they're not all wide receivers. They're all receivers. Some of them line up wide. Some of them line up in the slot. Some of them are big slots. Some of them are small slots, you know, and so you, you have to have different categories of players that fit certain roles. And some guys can't play on the outside. Some guys can't play on the inside. Some guys can play both, but maybe you're stronger than one or the other. So you learn that the roles of different players um, are different at each position. So that's kind of evolving. But, you know, to answer your question, it, it took about six years. Oh, I thought I, you know, when I first got in, I had successful in college with five recruiting classes and won three SEC titles in five years and you know, back then they didn't rank the classes, but a lot of people thought and this and that. We well, guys that not many people recruited that became all Americans. And, you know, yeah, I thought I knew a lot. You go into the NF and I had the advantage of working for the Blasto Combine for years. So I had a lot of experience. I've been to the senior bowl every year since nineteen seventy-four. I've, you know, just been, you know, but you get into the league. You're around the league and you're working for multiple. That's one thing. You get in the league and you're working at it on an everyday basis. Then you see it from a different level because then you can't turn to anyone for, well, what do you think about this guy? What you are the one defining and you are the one that people are asking you. So it's, again, it's a completely different world from inside and it takes a while. It takes a lot of experience to look at players, to learn, make mistakes, and grow from it. And then after a while, you know, yeah, this this guy reminds me of that guy. And this guy does things similarly. And I think this type of guy can make it. And here's how he's going to make it. And sometimes it still doesn't work because you never know how the human being's going to respond to from a, a from an injury standpoint, a competitive standpoint. Some guys will get married and get married to someone that's going to enhance their career and be supportive. Sometimes they marry and they are very needy people. And all of a sudden players can't fulfill their ultimate, um, you know, potential because maybe they don't work as hard on the game. They, they may love the game, but you know, they, they're, they're focusing on family and things. It's a lot of different dynamics that goes beyond just, whether a guy can run and catch and jump. And uh, that's the toughest thing that over time you get to feel, get a feel for whether a guy's got it or not. 
Yeah, I think that the general public gets caught up in the numbers, of course, with the combine being televised and the 40-yard dash and everything. And I have to imagine there's so much more that goes into it for determining if a player will potentially be successful or not. And you spoke of two heavy hitters that you worked with there at the organization of the Browns at the beginning. Uh, Did one of them give you any long-lasting advice that kind of struck a chord with you? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Belichick was the main one because Nick and I worked together. We both worked for Belichick. Um, I got to know Bill's dad, Steve Belichick. Steve Belichick was one of the great scouts and worked for the Naval Academy, and um, and he was around the facility a lot and, and got to know him, and that's who Bill really learned his football from, particularly how to scout. I think that that Bill Belichick's known as a great coach. What I don't think people are aware of is how good of an evaluator he is. And he's got an economic major. Uh, he's an economics major. And, and I think in this era of the salary cap, he has been able to combine his football acumen with great economic sense. So, uh, I, you know, I've learned an awful lot for him. And I've done a lot of consulting work for him. So I've got, you know, 30 years with the guy. And I've seen him evolve and change. You know, people always ask me, well, you know, why don't guys, you know, that, and there've been a few that have had some success that worked for them, but a lot of them haven't. Well, why, you know, people are getting this, well, they learned this system. There is no such thing as a system. It's systems are evolving. Systems are changing. And so it's the ability to think and learn and grow and adapt. So you know, mostly football is kind of copycat and you study what other people do, but it's just that. Can you study what other people do and incorporate it? So what I learned the most from Bill is how to think. Um, and I think those things really help. He's always thought outside the box. He's always looked at different ways. He always embraced different ideas. It was never where we've never done that before. If there's a way to do it, you better he always listen to you, but you, you better be able to back it up. You know, uh, somebody young guy was talking with a young guy the other day that's kind of getting into scouting and he's, you know, he talks in terms, well, this guy's a first round. And I, I said, stop. There's no such thing as a first rounder or a second rounder or a fifth rounder or a seventh rounder that doesn't exist in the football scouting vernacular. It's about evaluating players to a standard and putting a grade on where a guy gets drafted is different. not necessarily the same as where you graded him. And you would not last five seconds in a draft room with Bill Belichick. If you came in and said, this guy's a first rounder Uh, again, that, that, that is, but that's all you hear in today's, you know, outside world. This guy's the first, no, no, no. That's where he'll get drafted. That doesn't mean um, that's not how you grade a player necessarily. So what I learned is, how to think through football, how to study film, and how to evolve because things do change. And um, when a lot of the guys that have left him have not had success, the reason is when you work under Bill, you kind of do what he tells you to do. But when you don't work for Bill, you can't go down the hall and get the answers. You now have to produce the answers. And so many of those guys, as I like to say, you know, Bill's the engineer and most of the people are just laborers. So 
when you get the guys, the Piolis and people like that, that they got to go and try to do it on their own. Well, they can recall things that they did under Bill, but those things are not necessarily the way to do it. And Bill no longer does it that way because he's learned a better way to do it. You can't go back and get that because you're no longer there. And that's the issue. So the biggest thing to me is how to learn, how to think, how to evolve, how to grow. And the great ones do that. Yeah. And speaking of the great ones, um, I'm, like I mentioned in the previous episode, we talked a little bit about Eddie Cotel and how, how do you, how has scouting transformed over the years from, from what you've learned? Well, you go back into the old days of scouting and I had, um, fortunate to have a lot of time to visit with some of the old guards. I think for example, um, the late Wellington Merrill, uh, who, you know, grew up as a ball boy with his dad. Um, and you know, back then you didn't really have scouts and you'd have like owners that they would take old street and Smith magazines and stuff to the, you know, they'd look and all American lists and who played well, they're, they're the scouts at that time. I mean, I, we had a guy that, uh, Ernie, of course, that worked and Ernie, Ernie never played football, never coached, but he was, he was in an era where he was, they were a Gil Brant's another one that is, they don't have any football background. They were more recruiters. They were there to kind of uh, build nuns. Another one where they, they didn't have the football background as coaches, but they were there to recruit players. Well, in the old AAFL days, and then became the NFL. And then of course the AFL, it was more recruiting. It was like you were there to try to convince and sign a guy to come in usually for five, 700 bucks to come in. And it usually was about numbers and about stats and about all American teams and who the coaches in the conference thought were the best players. It was very unsophisticated. Well, as time grew and they became more what I call football people, people with coaching backgrounds got into scouting. Then it became into truly evaluating what a player was and what he could be. I always said, how do you, if you're going to evaluate an offensive lineman, I mean, if you've never coached it, how do you really know how a guy, if he's playing good technique? Well, a lot of people don't, but a lot of people can look at their athleticism, learn some of the qualities that it takes, so on and so forth. So what evolved is more of a sophistication of, all right, what's the criteria of how we're going to evaluate guys? Uh, detailed scouting forms that you would write to help you to grade a player correctly. Then it, then it became, you know, where you put computers in to where you could take the information and organize it better. So, like, for example, if you're evaluating a position, you know, if it's quarterbacks and, you know, the most important quality is mental awareness and then competitiveness and accuracy and release quickness, all the critical factors A to Z – and you grade, you know, it, you you can't grade by saying, yeah, this guy's got a good arm. Well, does he have a good arm? Does he have a great arm? Is it outstanding? Is it is it a seven arm? Is it a six nine arm? Is it a six five arm? And all those things have qualities. A seven zero, oh, for example, is a guy that performs a skill without abnormal or extra effort. 
six nine to six five would be great to very good. That's you know he he may not do it all the time, but he does it with abnormal. A good to average is is a player performs it with some abnormal or extra effort, but and does it more often than not. So my point is is so if you're talking about a receiver's hands, I don't want to hear that he has good hands. I need you to tell me what did you see to come to the conclusion. Well, he catches the ball out of frame on the crossing route. Um, uh, on the quick slant, he can catch it front side. Uh, he can pluck the ball on the screen without abnormal effort. Um, catches it out of frame. Um, okay, so you're describing that. Well, then you've got to describe. Okay, so would you say he's got six nine hands, six five hands, six four, six zero, oh? and and you got to put a number by that. And your ver- your verbiage, your words need to match up to the numbers. Because if you start talking about a guy, if you start talking about, you know, <laughs> this guy's got good hands, well, you know, that's just a generic statement. I mean, there are a lot of guys with good hands, but Jerry Rice, Randy Moss had, you know, 7-0 hands. Uh, whereas, you know, um, a guy with good hands would be 6 And so those things matter. And then you go to the next critical factor and the next. So when you do those things and you become that much more detailed, you can paint a picture like any writer would do in describing in a book. You know, if it takes you to a place and you can mentally see it, that's what your job is as a scout, to be able to evaluate it, describe what you see, uh, grade it, and if the person listening to it has never seen the player, should be able to close his eye, listen, and see him play. Use comparative measures to maybe, you know, not say that one guy's going to be as good as another guy, but maybe describe his release like Drew Brees, or maybe he's got a little bit of a upper body frame like a Ken Stabler. Or, you know, when you do that, you you obviously, if you've scouted these guys long enough, you know, all right, look, you've painted a picture of what the guy looks like. And then to, to a certain degree, what you know what are his skill sets and how good are they with verbiage and numbers and then it it's about um you know seeing them in person and seeing them on film and then looking at the in the tangibles the height weight and speed over years we pretty much know that there is a prototype for a guard for a tackle for a linebacker for a corner for you know every position it does not mean if you fall below that prototype, you can't make it. But what it tells you, based over years, you know, only if you don't meet this prototype, maybe only 15% have ever made it. Well, I mean, if you're sitting there and you're a stockbroker and you're trying to advise a financial planner to somebody, you're going to offer them a stock that's going to put their investments that you think has only got a 15% chance of being successful, or are you going to put them in something that's got 85% chance? Well, we know what that answer is. Well, you have to kind of look at that same way in terms of what are the criteria we look for, and you've got to play the percentages. And if a guy doesn't meet that criteria, maybe they're a little bit short. Maybe they're just a tick slow, whatever. 
How much of a problem is it? How much shorter are they? Do they have the requisite skills to overcome it? All of those things need to be asked and answered, and that'll determine because you know what? You'll always say, you know, well, but Drew Brees is not tall. Yeah, there's Drew Brees, and then there's 999 other next Drew Breeses that never make it. Sam Mills <laughs> is only 5'9", and it was great. And this guy's the next Sam Mills. I have seen 10,000 next Sam Millses, and they've not been one of them. So you've got to know what it is that is going to make a guy the exception that makes it as opposed to the one that doesn't. And you got to know when and where to take that guy. It doesn't mean you can't take him. But you sure as heck don't want to take them high. And there's a certain point in the draft where you might take a chance on a guy that has measurables but not production and a guy that maybe has production but not measurables. But you better have both if you're going to invest a high pick because even those guys have a success rate that's not very good. So you sure as heck don't want to decrease your chances and go from maybe a 35, 40% chance of success down to you know, 15, 18%, that's not a good percentage play. Would it be hard for you to take right now almost a role play and pretend I'm a coach or a GM and pick a player and give me a profile, or would that take too a long time? Well, you know, for example, I'll give you an example of kind of what, we'll, you know, you could talk about. Let's just do a generic player. You talk about a, a, a guy, you know, and it's it's – uh, it's Arnie. He's six zero three three. He's two twenty three. He's a quarterback. You know, he runs four eight one. You go through all the measurables, and I, I look at you know the the most you mentioned the combine, the most important athletic quality, the trait that we look at is I want to see the three cone drill. Now the quarterback position, I'm looking at upper body strength. I'm looking you look you got to separate them and then bring them all together. So I, does. What type of size does he have? What type of arm strength? Does he have growth potential? Can he get stronger? Does he have body flexibility? Some guys are wiry, but they can get really a flippy arm. Some guys are tight in the upper body. You've got to really do a good job with examining the player. So you go through all those things. You go through all the personal stuff. Every player, regardless of position, which is personal character. Uh, tell me his citizenship, his disciplinary issues, stability, personality. Is he a con man? Is he dependable? Is he responsible? Is he honest? Is he trustworthy? Is he phony? Is he self-centered? Then I want to know about the football character. Is he a team player? Is he unselfish? Does he have pride? Is he coachable? Is he a leader? Does, does he have good work ethic? Is he a self-starter? Is football high priority? Does he talk the talk or walk the walk type? Is he a finger pointer? Is he an excuse maker? Or does is he a fall on the sword type of player? Is he a locker room lawyer? You know, who's, you know, always saying, ah, guys, those guys, or is he a locker room leader? His toughness, you know, you go over mental toughness. Does he play hurt? Is he a finisher with a nasty temperament? Or is he a fringe player? Is he a quick or slow healer from injuries? Is he a foxhole type of player or situational toughness? Is he intimidating or is he intimidated? Then I want to know about the competitiveness. Does he play hard, play hard all the time, even in losing effort? Is he aggressive? Is he hard-nosed? Is he intense? Is he looking for the easier path, or can he raise to the level of his teammates? He plays hard all the time or picks his spots? Does he rise to meet to the challenge or play to the level of competition? Does he win through second effort or with physical gifts? Uh, will he compete, or does he have to win on his initial move? 
Then production. That's playmaking ability. Not stats, playmaking ability. Clutch player. Is he tr- does he try hard, but he's not productive? Is he an underachiever or an overachiever? Or neither? Is he a good athlete that gets by on athleticism? Or is he co- a competitive finisher? Uh, is he a treadmill guy or get it done guy? You know, do, is he a go-to guy with the game on the line or does he shrink in the clutch? Then the next thing I go with instincts and intelligence. What's his ability to learn? Is he a quick learner or a rough guy? Is he focused or easily distracted? Uh, is the assignment sound or is a you know, is he a lot of breaks? Is how much direction and guidance does he he need? What's his ability to adjust or on the move? And uh, is he disciplined or undisciplined? Does he freelance a lot uh, and plays his own scheme? Does he understand his role and responsibility? Does he react or anticipate? Uh, his strength and explosion. I go into that. His weight room strength, his functional strength. Can he deliver a blow with leverage? Does he legs move or die on contact? Uh, does he push and shove or does he explode? And his, then I go to what I call quabs, quickness, agility, and balance, athletic ability. Is he a trained athlete or a natural athlete? Is he a long strider or a short strider? Does he have initial quickness? Does he have recovery quickness? Does he have lateral agility? Is he fluid and fluid and smooth or is he tight and stiff? Which is level of balance and body control? Which is level of knee and hip flexion? Which is ability to redirect and uh, snap uh, or, or, or slow accelerator? Then his playing speed. How fast does he play with his pads on? Uh, with his, uh, on his start, his burst, his ability to change directions on the move, his stride and fluidity into the game, you know, the size. Is he close to the minimum requirements uh, or over or under? Um, the farther away from the minimum, the less valuable and more reliant on the other physical characteristics. So can he overcompensate that? Drew Brees is short, but he can explode from under center. That tennis background as a junior. So, you know, he had to get deeper in the pocket to be able to see over the line, but he could do that. So he could ever able to overcome it. And he had became a, a great reader of defense. Then durability. Can he play hurt? Can he, his body withstand punishment? pain tolerance level, flexibility, then his body bill, his body fat percentage. Does he have slender calves and ankles or thick angles, uh, hips, waist, chest development, shoulder width, which equals growth potential, wrist size, which equals growth potential, arm length, body definition. I'm grading every player at any position at all of those. Then I get in to the position specific. So for the quarterback, you know, I want to go critical fa- mental awareness, which is intelligence, his field vision, seeing the field, understanding of coverages, reading defenses, judgment and decision making, avoidance of forcing the ball, poise under game pressure and rush pressure, anticipation of when receivers are going to come open, locating secondary and tertiary, tertiary receivers, then competitiveness, um, physical and mental toughness, level of intensity, clutch skills, poise, how does he handle adverse conditions? Leadership, confidence, high character guys succeed here. Low character guys struggle here. High work ethic. I want self-starters. The most important accuracy is the most important physical quality that you're looking for in a, in a quarterback. So does he hit a target short, medium, long without making receivers work? Does he have a, the ability to deliver a catchable ball? Does he show touch when he needs to? Does he uh, leads a receiver on a deep ball, velocity, timing? Well, you got to describe all that. You can't just say he does it. Well, tell me where you saw him. Against Indiana, I saw him um, on six crossing routes do this. 
on five back shoulder fades do that. You've got to chart it all out, grade it, say how you saw the accuracy develop or lack thereof. Then I go to release type and quickness. What type of release and location of release points? Quickness from the throwing point to release. The release times, I want it at three yards, 1.5 seconds. Five yards, 2.1. Seven yards, 3.1. Nine yards, 3.9. Arm strength. It's important. The velocity on the ball when needed. Does he throw a deep ball with little effort? Does the delivery, you know, falling away from his body from pressure with only his arm, can he make that throw? Does he have velocity on the outright? The tightness of the spiral. All those things are important. That contributes to accuracy and boring through difficult weather conditions. Body size and strength. Does he meet the requirements? Does he have the hand size that can protect the football when he gets hit or when it's wet or windy conditions or it's cold? Then production. Do the numbers back up his grade? I look for accuracy percentage over completion percentage. That's, um, look, you can throw 10 passes and if six of them are off target, but they're caught six times, that doesn't mean a guy's a 60% completion percentage guy. Of the 10 passes, were they delivered on time and where they were supposed to be? If you threw eight passes where they're supposed to be and six of them were dropped, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've done what you're supposed to do. So I'm looking at accuracy percentage over completion percentage. Completion percentage is important, but for a team statistic, not for a quarterback. Then I want to see the interception versus touchdown ratio. And that's the result of a passing chart on film. Percentage of correct line of scrimmage adjustments and percentage of correct post-snap adjustments. Does he protect the ball first before trying to make a big play? Is he a technique and fundamentally stickler for details? And then I get into more position specifics like speed on rollouts and sprint. Does he have does he have good stride to the throwing point? Natural running ability, ability to avoid the rush, scrambling ability, then the athletic ability, quickness, agility, balance, change of direction, body flexibility, run ability, um, feel and physical adjustments to pocket pressure, just slight movements in quick spaces, really important. Ball mechanics. Uh, would be the next thing. Ball handling, the ability to sell play action, setup quickness, delivery quickness, type of release, where it's coming from, quickness from the throwing point to the release, and then setup quickness, the speed in which you quickness you come away from the center. So, you know, again, you you, you want to have uh, the drop setup times, you know, again, at three yards, you want to be in a drop set at 0.76 at 5, 1.07 and 1.3 and 9 um, at 1.75. And then the avoid skills, uh, scrambling ability, natural running ability, avoid rush skills, sense for locating pocket pressure. And then I, you know, I grade anything that he might do on special teams. Can he be a really good holder? Um, those things, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, you know. So uh, those are examples of what I would cover in a quarterback and I'd have to explain in every one of those critical factors and position specifics how what I saw to justify the grade I'm going to give a guy in mental awareness, competitive. I can't just say, um, boy, this guy's really intelligent. He's got great field vision. He's good understanding of coverages. That's great. Okay. How do I know you're seeing it right? Tell me where you saw that, how you saw it. What were the indicators? And then tell me 
in grading his mental awareness. Would you give him a 6-0, a 6-4, a 6-5, 6-9, five, a 5-5, five, 5-9, five, five, 505? And, and those numbers, again, as I said earlier, tells you exactly. So I, there are other things I look at, and I look at you know starts and successes and team things, but um, that's an example of going through one position with what you're looking for. And then again, you've got to go into the details specific to that player uh, and, uh, and, and, and go through that process. Um, and that's really pretty much how you end up being thorough and making sure that you've got all those areas uh, covered in your evaluation. <laughs> Chris, that was one of the most impressive and informative 10 minutes I think I've ever listened to a straight audio. Well, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it, it's, it's real detailed. It's a little bit, you know, I think a lot of what we talk about now in football is summations of what we see, but you know, a summation, you know, as I always say, you can't scout by cliff notes, you know, those cliff notes that we had in college that we go, I don't want to read the catcher in the right. I'm going to read the cliff notes. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm raising my hand. I did that. Well, but you, you know, you don't know the details and you don't know how you got to it. Somebody had to read that to write the cliff notes. Oh, oh, oh man. How about you? Because I thought that 10 minutes or so, or however long it was of straight audio breaking down how good of a quarterback I'm going to be in the NFL was just absurdly impressive. Naturally, I mean, I'm going to be giving some kind of like uh, comp or I'm going to give Patrick Mahomey a run for his money because, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to be a good quarterback. But I decided to fall back to podcasting is kind of like a secondary thing. So that's where I'm at now. But all jokes aside, I do hope that you enjoyed this first part of the Chris Landry experience and were able to gain some gridiron knowledge nuggets about what scouts look for you know, beyond the numbers, beyond the exams, they're looking at the player. They're looking at the potential. How does that player fit into our scheme? So there's so much more that goes on to it, even more than I could have even imagined. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to learn more about it next week. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about Chris Landry and everything that he does, you can go ahead over to the dedicated page on my site, which is thefootballhistorydo.com slash Chris Landry. Also, if you enjoy the show, I please ask that you share it with some football geeks such as yourself so they too can learn about this crazy amount of information spitting out of the mouth of the scouting guru, Chris Landry. And also so we can learn how the scouting game works and all the other kinds of inner workings of how teams actually decide to pick a player or uh, let's go ahead and let this one pass on. Next week, though, we're going to dive right back into the interview with part two of the Chris Landry experience. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.